Hello and welcome to Canalcast, a podcast exploring how our charity, the Canal and River Trust, helps make life better by water. I'm Lewis Howell, and in this series of Canalcast, I'm meeting people throughout the Canal and River Trust to open a window onto the work we do. Come with us as we discover how vital and vulnerable our canals are. In today's canal cast, we're looking at the boats and boaters that are the lifeblood of our canals. We discover how boaters helped to rescue our canals from ruin, how they were pioneers of living by water, opening all of our eyes to the joys of being outdoors on the towpath, and how they play a vital role in helping us all to enjoy the canals today. We'll discover how our team of experts look after the boaters in our care and how we work hard every day to keep our canals running, keep the locks open and the moorings available and work to support the well-being of the boating community and everyone who spends time by the water. First up, it's Matthew Simmons, National Boating Manager for the Canal and River Trust. Welcome, Matthew. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Lewis. It's good to be here. Matthew, let's begin, you know, at the very, very beginning with a little bit of history. The canals were built for boats, obviously, but how has boating then evolved over time? Well, you're right, absolutely. Boats have been at the centre of canals since they were constructed. First for industry, they were built to move the goods, the coal, the materials that really drove the Industrial Revolution. And they continued to play a huge role until the railways came along, really. And then a lot of that freight moved on onto the railways. You know, over time, then we saw the canals gradually decline, but they continued moving stuff around right up until the 1960s. At that point, they started to change. You know, we started seeing them become less about industry and more of a kind of leisure resource. As the freight declined and they began to fall into disrepair, things started to break, more canals came under threat. From what I understand, there are more boats on our canals today than there ever has been, which means clearly it's a rising way of living that people are interested in. Of course, boats are being used for a range of different reasons. Approximately how many boats are there on our canals today and and what are some of them being used for? So there's about 35,000 boats on the Canal and River Trust waterways. Now, most of those are being used for leisure use. So it's interesting they've gone completely flipped from being entirely all about industry when they were built to now they're almost entirely about people using them for their recreation. So that's people who might use them just for weekends or for longer holidays, people who are hiring boats to go out or just going out on day trips. But we still still to have about a quarter of our boats are being used as more permanent homes you know people are living on the water and we're seeing that increasing in some places so there's certainly more interest in people choosing to live on the waterways definitely and that's amazing and you know I personally have seen when I've gone to different parts of the country but definitely not far from where my office is in King's Cross in London seeing some boats being used as like pop-up businesses. There's a really diverse range of different businesses on the waterways people often think of there being cafes and little restaurants that people can eat and there's lots of those but you know we've also got pet shops we've got estate agents tattoo parlors hairdressers you know almost everything you could probably find on a high street you'll find somewhere on our waterways there's a fantastic cheese boat and if you've got a sweet tooth there's a great candy boat that pops up as well on the grand union so matthew why are boaters so important to the waterways today 
boaters are the lifeblood of the canals. They're what bring the waterways alive. Now, there's a phrase that, you know, what is canal without boats on it? Well, it's a muddy ditch because it's the boats that bring it to life. You know, if it wasn't for many of today's boaters, especially who campaigned and literally dug out and restored some of the waterways, many of them just wouldn't exist and they wouldn't be there for us to enjoy. Boaters were absolutely essential to saving the waterways. You know, particularly people like Tom Rolt, who wrote about his life on his boat Cressy and his love of the inland waterway which really sparked a fire and a passion in other people about this lost world that was starting to disappear and that was really the start of the turnaround of the waterways for him to with others found the inland waterway association which then campaigned to preserve and restore many of the waterways we have now which got so close to being lost forever you know at the time when freight was moving on to to roads from the canals and there was a real question about what they were going to be used for and some people in government thought you know they would make great roads and they wanted to fill them in and turn them into to highways and it was some of those passionate boaters who really fought to save them and saw they had a value for for leisure use and recreation that eventually persuaded uh, the then transport minister barbara castle in 1968 to get the canals recognised and protected for leisure use in the Transport Act. So you really can't underscore how important a role they played in preserving the canals. And lots of them still carry on volunteering. We've got over 3,000 volunteers that work alongside our staff to help maintain, keep the waterways looking great and working. And many boaters do lots of volunteer things as well, you know, whether it's picking up litter or helping with our plastic challenge or, you know, cutting back some vegetation or most importantly, just being the eyes and ears so they can spot things. If things aren't looking good, they can let us know and we can make sure we address them, fix them and keep the waterways open. What exactly does the Trust do for boaters, though? I'm sure there's so much more that many people probably aren't aware of that we're actually doing for boaters day in and day out. Absolutely. Well, most of the work we do and over 90% of the money that we spend goes on the waterways, which directly is about making sure boaters can carry on using them. So all of those maintenance jobs, all those big and small repairs that need to happen, the day-to-day things about whether it's painting locks or cutting vegetation or picking litter up or making sure the waste points are, are there for people to use, maintaining water points, pump outs, Elsons, all the things you need if you're going to be boating, we keep those in order and keep supporting those. So it's it's the biggest part of the work we do. But as well as that, you know, we, we do stuff like providing information and advice for boaters. So we have a boaters update we send out every two weeks that gives boaters updates on things like major projects that are coming up useful information about things they they might want to know about whether that's how to get their boat ready for winter or trying to encourage them to explore some of the different waterways they might not have visited we also provide those really essential things like stoppage information so if we're going to do some repair work and it's going to affect where you can cruise we have a system that lets people know similarly if the weather's going to affect your cruising we have warning systems to let people know if the floodgates might be closed or whether there might be strong stream on some of the tidal sections of the rivers that we look after so there's a whole lot of work we do around supporting people and beyond that we also help people 
on a very practical level, you know, boating community is no different to any other walk of life. At times, people maybe face difficulties and might need some extra support. And we have staff across the country that meet and talk and help boaters who might be going through some of those difficult times. But with 2,000 miles to look after, it's a huge task with a very old network that's in constant use. So absolutely understand that sometimes boaters think they'd like to see us do more. And that's part of the challenge for us is to make sure we can maintain the waterways and improve them going forwards by fixing the faults that go wrong by making sure there's long-term maintenance plans to make sure they're you know fit for purpose and available for everyone to use boaters make a really valuable contribution towards that you know they contribute 40 million pounds towards that from a mix of their license fees and mooring charges but we need that contribution from other people and other sources as well to help us keep the investment going so we need to work with boaters to convince lots of those other users and the government and other people that there's a real value in making sure the waterways are sustained going forward into the future and we work with boaters to you know really tell people why canals are important they're a fantastic important part of our heritage but they're important and relevant today as a place for improving our well-being as you've talked about in a previous episode and supporting wildlife but also because you know people need places to escape to and really there's nowhere quite like escaping on a boat as well so it's really important that we keep that boating community active as well so Matthew, you know, it's great to see boats out and about on our waterways, but you must have faced some particular difficulties in looking after boats and boating during the lockdowns. Yeah, lockdown was incredibly frustrating for many boaters who were not able to visit their boats, let alone use them for a large part of 2020. So that was kind of really challenging for many people. But for a lot of people, their boat was their home. And so they faced a very different experience. So they were confined they couldn't move around and you know staying at home meant staying on your boat for some people so we worked really hard to keep boaters up to date with the guidance and the rules from the government which was regularly changing and also helping provide help at a practical level so you know if people were shielding or isolating on their boats we worked with them to make sure they had support whether it was making sure they had water um, making sure they had people to help with their shopping or get medicine so we had staff around the network working with boaters and helping them at a really challenging time. The other thing to mention is that while most of the country was, you know, staying at home and we're in lockdown, you know, our teams kept the waterways going because you can't just leave them. Even though we weren't able to use them for boating and to go out on them, you know, the people have to keep checking the water levels, keep maintaining and monitoring to make sure things are okay, that things aren't broken. So throughout the whole of the lockdown, we had teams out and about keeping the waterways going. Beyond COVID, though, what ongoing challenges do we face in helping out our boating customers? Well, I think one of the challenges we face is that, you know, the waterways are continuing to evolve. They have always evolved, as we've talked about, and I think that's going to continue happening. We're seeing more people choosing to live their lives on the water, so living on boats. And whether they're doing that for leisure or as to make it their permanent home the challenge for us is to make sure 
that we can maintain the waterways and to work with them to secure the funding that's needed to keep this fantastic 200-year-old network going so it meets the changing demands and ensures that we can protect them for another 200 years for boaters and others to enjoy. And the best way for us to do that is working with boaters to engage those you know, 8 million people who come and visit the waterways, who walk on the towpaths or cycle or fish or or run along the canals to help them contribute their time, their effort, their support, or even donations to keep those waterways going for the future. So Matthew, I'm really intrigued to know, what was your relationship with and or experience with boating or the waterways? And what kind of things have you learned since developing this relationship with the Trust and working with the Trust? I grew up a stone's throw from the the Coventry Canal and you know in my youth I would be blackberry picking and picking sloes on the banks of the canal but I had no um, experience of going boating until I went on a holiday with my family when I was young and that kind of just opened up this completely different world for me because it, it felt like you're stepping into um, a bit like Diagonal Alley in Harry Potter. You leave the real world when you come into the canals and you go onto a boat and you're in a completely different place. It, it slows you down. It makes you appreciate what's around you, the wildlife and just the sense of community with other people on the waterways. And that's what I love about the boating community and this job it takes you out of the, the hectic pace of life into a completely different place. Amazing. Well, thank you again, Matthew, for joining us today. You're welcome. It's good to talk to you. Thanks, Matthew. Great to hear about the importance the Canal and River Trust places on helping our boating customers, even given some of the challenges that our canal system faces. But let's hear more from a boater themselves. Debbie Figueredo, Boating Support Advisor at the Canal and River Trust. Debbie... Good to welcome you aboard Canalcast. How are you? I'm fine, Lewis. Great to meet you. So, Debbie, you know, tell us a bit about your story. How did you discover boating and being on the canals? Right. Discovered boating quite late in life. I hadn't really come across any canals because where I grew up, there weren't any. But when I went off to university, I went on a boat trip. First time ever on a narrowboat from Bristol up to Bath. It was beautiful. It was amazing. It was just the one trip and I never thought anything more of it. And then I moved out of London and where I moved to was a town with a canal. I felt like I was on holiday every day. To walk to the station, I'd walk along the towpath, past all these wonderful boats, and it was really pretty, and you'd feed the ducks and get off the train after going into London and a day's work, and you'd get off, and you'd just step onto the towpath, and it was just, like, wonderful. But I never actually went on a boat. <laughs> and then things in my life changed, and I fell in love with a man who just happened to live on a boat... I fell in love with him and I fell in love with his boat and I fell in love with boating and that was over 20 years ago now and yeah I've never looked back. That's amazing I like that okay so tell me then Debbie because you spoke about the fact that you know you fell in love with his boat as well as the canals and now that you know is very much a lifestyle so what is it about boating that appeals so much you know what does a, being a boater allow you to do from the, from the standpoint of you know being able to 
discover different parts of the country to an extent or really embrace some more of what this country has to offer beyond what someone who solely is on quote-unquote land has to experience? You really do see the country from a totally different perspective. Landscape changes slowly, you know, from city centre to suburbs, out into countryside. They all have their own distinct character. It might be the style of locks. It might be the style of bridge. It might even be the routes they take. Boating is definitely the fastest way to slow down. It's a really good way of relaxing and just appreciating what's around you and being in the now. Yeah, it's the fastest way to slow down. Listen, stop the podcast. We're done. <laughs> That's all Debbie needs to say. Now, Joker, we got more to talk about. I've been present at one or two annual public meetings for the Trust where, you know, it is so interesting how actually, you know, a small contribution that a boater makes as it relates to an experience they have had on a waterway genuinely can go about leading the trust to make some quite significant changes and adjustments in order to ensure that those boaters are best cared for. And I'm, I'm assuming then that sometimes the kind of work that you may do, Debbie, regarding, you know, dealing with licenses and stuff like that is also then playing a big part. Yes, the team that I work in were boat license customer support. So we help people get a boat license and keep a boat license. So if someone's struggling perhaps because as many people over the last year have lost their jobs because of COVID and there's always repairs to be made and people can get into financial difficulty so we can help customers that are in difficulty make sure they're getting the right benefits and getting the right support and finding more flexible ways to help them pay the boat licence and also helping people understand what they actually need to do to get a boat licence in the first place. A lot of people, as soon as they think boat, seem to have rose-tinted glasses and forget it's a bit like having a car. You've got to have insurance, you've got to have boat safety, which is like having an MOT for a boat. So helping people work out what they need to get those where where to go how to find an examiner difference between different types of insurance just so that everybody can enjoy boating definitely no that's that's so important Um, and as you said it's about getting it and keeping it and by them keeping it then they experience all of those amazing benefits that you outlined earlier debbie i also understand that you look after a lot of boating businesses as well. You know, the, the the businesses, the individuals, the organisations that really drive the boating economy. So tell us a bit more about that. Most people's first experience of boating is usually on either via a boat trip or possibly hiring a boat. Without those boating businesses providing those boat trips and those holidays, I don't think so many people would actually buy their own boat and um, we have a dedicated business boating team that help all the various companies and also charity boats that offer boat trips even if people are really challenged on the mobility side that there is an opportunity to go boating for everyone just thinking like the Ethel Barge Trust up in Sheffield and there's also the, ho- the holiday hire companies and even though I live on a boat I have actually hired a boat because there's some places I can't get my own boat to. One year for a special birthday, I'd always wanted to do the Rochdale Canal. It was going to take forever to get our own boat up there and it just wasn't working with work. So we hired a boat. Fantastic. 
best holiday ever. Do you know what? That's it. I've made the decision today because of you, Debbie. I'm hiring a boat at some point this summer and I'm doing something because what am I doing? What am I actually doing just here in these urbanised environments with concrete under my foot all the time? What is this? Yeah, I mean, just hybrid day boat. I mean, with a few mates, it's just brilliant fun. <laughs> no, you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. From what I understand, the boating community is very much looking to you know really consider how it can move towards being even more sustainable eco-friendly things like that so i can imagine there's still a long way to go but do you want to mention anything there as it relates to that move towards sustainability yeah a lot of us do try and live a sort of green and more low impact life but it is based very much on carbon technology and it's going to take a while for cleaner alternatives to be cheaper and more affordable. Lots of people are going down the route of having solar panels. Solar panels are a great way of keeping your battery, your essential batteries topped up so that water pumps and lighting works without having to run your engine. Battery technology is improving, but we've still got predominantly diesel engines and like cars there are emissions compared to cars and lorries boats are very very tiny fraction of the problem it would be good to be able to be greener and rely on greener technologies and lots of new boats now that are being built are hybrid so diesel electric and there's even fully electric boats they're expensive but they are the future hopefully in the long term, more and more boats will move across to these technologies. Absolutely love that. Thank you so much for sharing that, Debbie. So last thing I just wanted to touch on was, you know, let's say I wanted to go on a boat for the first time. Where would I, or someone like me who's new to boating, where would we start? Where should people go in order to get further information? We have got loads of info on our website. If you want to go boating and you think like, okay, I'm going to just have a little taste or I'm going to go on a day trip. We've got a directory where you can find all the different hire companies. Before you go on your boat trip, you can go and check out all our pages about what you need to know before you go, what to bring, what to wear. So you're fully prepared before you get there. And then if you are hiring a boat you get a really good handover from the hire company about what you need to do and how to operate the boat safely. If you haven't got the money to hire a boat or whatever, why not talk to one of us boaters? More than happy, more often than not, to let someone just hop, hop on board and go for a ride up to the next lock. If you wanted to come out boating with me, you'd always be welcome. And there's always boaters looking for crew to help them through the locks um, to just go and volunteer. We'd be happy to have you along. There's lots of different ways of getting to go boating and it needn't be expensive. That's it. Let's volunteer on a boat for the trust. Let's do that, my people that are listening to Canalcast. Debbie, we appreciate you so much, so much for joining us today. Honestly, like what you have shared to me is gold dust. And I'm hoping that our listeners feel the same way too. Oh, thank you so much for joining us, Debbie. It's really amazing to know what boating offers. Yeah, no, it's been really, really great talking to you, Lewis. And we are going to have to make a date to go boating. Thanks, Debbie. It's wonderful to know that boating offers something for everyone. But what's it like to live on a boat full time? 
How does the Canal and River Trust support people to do that? And who do boaters turn to when they need some help? To find out, Canalcast headed down to the southwest to speak to Senior Welfare Officer Sean Williams. Sean, good to talk to you, my friend. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Honestly, I haven't had that conversation with Debbie. So many, so many things are flowing through my mind, Sean, but... I think it's very important that we come to understand some of the important work that you and your team are doing. So tell me about some of the particular challenges of living aboard a boat, especially, you know, I guess through the recent challenging times we faced with the pandemic, etc. Talk to us a little bit about some of those challenges. Yeah, no problem. I think what's sort of really important for me is to explain just how um, amazing it is to be on a boat. The one thing I, I get from all the people I work with is just so how passionate they are about living on a boat. And it's sort of being that kind of at one with nature and, and the freedom to move around. And sort of kind of where I come in is where it, it gets a bit more difficult for people. It's not always easy living on a boat. There's, there's also some challenges that, that, that people um, have to face and, and it's practical things. All the kind of everyday life things we deal with, but on a much sort of more intense scale when you're on a boat, having to do it and move around and plan your journey um, and everything else really. So that's kind of where I come into it a little bit. But I can't imagine, I mean, you know what, excuse me if I'm being a bit naive here, but what about really practical things such as, you know, how do you get a post? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like what, do you, what do you put on a letter to someone who may be moving because they don't necessarily have a home mooring or what, what, what is their home bank branch? Or, I mean, you know, I know we've got, you know, a lot of uh, digital banks now, but still, you know, like, how do they get access to medical care? There's so many questions I have, you know? And that's probably the, the hardest challenge or one of the hardest challenges for people if you're moving around and, and you've got a lifestyle that doesn't support that connection to one area it's very difficult then to, to put down them roots so a lot of work we've been doing in the background behind the sort of support angle is also trying to open up doors for people as well so we're doing a lot of work with healthcare providers with health watch because actually you don't need a postcode to register for a gp but over the years i think people have just got used to that kind of question a computer asks for a postcode you must have one we're sort of working with our customers to let them know that that is an option as well yeah everything is quite digital these days but there's also a lot of things you need which is kind of like a you know a, a postcode and stuff so yeah it is a challenge for people and there are ways around that and we just trying to help support people mm, no it definitely it definitely would be done and so i appreciate that you know the whole lifestyle to an extent based on what you've explained there don't get me wrong it comes with some phenomenal benefits as we've heard in terms of what you shared at the start as well as what we heard when uh, we took Canalcast over to see debbie earlier but also i can imagine that there are some very vulnerable people who are living on boats going through some very emotional times in their life so i don't know if there's any light you can shed on that as well sean absolutely yeah the people i work with are people that need support and so yeah we, we get People that could have fallen into something simple like self-isolation, sort of struggling just to sort of communicate with people. It, it could be they've lost partners or friends or families or people that are close to them and then suddenly find themselves in, a, in an isolated situation. And then it's about how we can kind of connect them into to people that, that can help them really, whether it's medical or, or support services or whether it's just other people and, and sort of wellbeing groups. One of the things I come across a lot is, is people that may be struggling financially. And again, it goes back a little bit to the, the postcode dilemma. If, if you're moving around a lot, yeah, how easy is it then to then go and get some financial help if you need it? And again, I'll help people sort of signpost them in there, link them into financial support services, try and improve that situation. And a lot of the time what you're trying to do, it's a bit like a big puzzle and you're just trying to pick up little bits at a time, fix that little bit and try and get the, the puzzle sort of connected together. With sort of financial support, sometimes you have someone with some medical medical needs 
and then they might be struggling to access services and then we can sort of link them in with services it might be they need to stay in an area a bit longer than normal and we can look at our own kind of things that we can do so we can set things up like longer stays if they need longer stays in certain areas or if they've got a long-term health condition we can look at things like equality adjustments where we can change the rules a little bit depending on their circumstances to try and help them so they can connect into all the sort of support they need really that's so important you know i understand and i want you to expand on this a bit more for our listeners please sean but as a welfare officer that means you're you know you're looking after those people who are most in need and it's all about helping them to you know stay happy and stay healthy as you mentioned some people that health standpoint might not necessarily just be physical it could be something to do with mental and or emotional challenges they're facing including the self-isolation you mentioned so how else are you going about looking after these people who really need that help that's it's a really good point and, it, and it's something that i see an awful lot it is especially around sort of mental health mental health support and what we, we're finding now is that more and more people are coming to us and saying i, I need help you know i can't manage can you help and that's given us the opportunity then to, to look at a situation. And, and what I would say is every situation is different. We don't have this little tool book where you kind of go, right, someone has depression, that means you have to do this. It doesn't really work that way. It's, it's finding out what is unique to them and then looking at what we can then do to support that. And it could be a simple thing like working with the waterway chaplaincy. When they're great to sort of come in completely neutral, you know, they're not part of the trust so they can have an open and frank conversation that maybe we can't in some circumstances in some cases they work as an advocacy where they, they'll just speak on their behalf and, and take that kind of pressure away sometimes if a customer's feeling pressured and they might have five or six things going on in their life the chaplaincy can just sort of slow it all down and say hey, you know let me speak for them let me um talk to sean and, and whoever it might be and we'll work out a solution and then hopefully going forward we can sort of um, work a bit closer with, with the customer and chat and see um, together. But they're amazing. They're out there in all weathers, just just friendly ear, um, willing to chat. But it could be they just need a befriending, some kind of befriending service, a listening ear. They can talk to us and, and, and we have staff out there you know, engaging all the time. And then, it's, yeah, it's just picking up where we need to try and get that support to come in. And I guess... You know, you must come up against some real-life problems, Sean. You know, respecting confidentiality, of course, but... What kinds of problems, what kind of people do you and your team actually work with and therefore go about helping out on the waterways? I don't know if there are any specific stories that you can discuss with us, Sean. So I think I've probably seen it all. And then the next day, something new comes and I go, oh, I hadn't seen that before. And that happens every every single day. I think there's a, and, um, a boat I was working with um, a little while ago. We used to see, we used to talk to us on the towpath and, and say, I never knew there's any issues. Didn't know an awful lot about him. And then struggling to make some payments. And came out and said, oh, I am actually struggling. And then what we found out is that they'd been with nil income for, for over a year. They were on some, some benefits. Um, they'd all stopped. Hadn't received any money. And they just literally tried to struggle. So we looked at everything. Looked at all their incomes, their outgoings. Signposted them to a whole heap of help. And then looked at their, their applications for finance or for benefit. They reapplied. They got all their benefits reinstated. And, and literally it changed his life. And it sounds like I'm moving over dramatic there, but... I don't think anyone has ever gone with literally a nil income for so long, scrabbling around, borrowing bits of food, going to the food banks, and then suddenly just to get back on track with some, some money, he's able to put, get heating, he's able to buy food. And I, and I can't remember the exact words he said, but it was very much along the lines of for a year, he felt he was on the outside looking into to the world, couldn't engage, couldn't get involved, and then all of a sudden 
he had some money and then he was now you know, back part of the community again. And what he'd found himself doing was he was isolating further and further because he was embarrassed about his situation. So the friends that are near him were getting more distant because he didn't want to tell them. And yeah, it's all quite tricky, but I, I speak to him quite a lot, doing really well, thriving really. Sean, do you know what? I, I want to say a massive thank you for myself as well as on behalf of all of our listeners of Canalcast today because even what you just mentioned there, to have someone be in a situation where they felt they were on the outside looking in but to know that your team is there to help, to know that your team is always there to listen, to advocate for them, to support them, is absolutely phenomenal work that you and your team are doing, Sean. So, I, I mean, I thank you and I'm sure many others, you know, those who are part of the boating community, having those experiences day to day, accessing the support day to day are massively grateful as well. We do it because we, we can see an absolute benefit. And when you see someone that's, you know, that's really struggling and then they get to a position when they're, they're back on their feet and on track. That, that's all the thanks you really need, it's just seeing that. So, yeah, we love it. So thanks to Sean, Debbie and Matthew for explaining as much as we could possibly ask for in today's episode about boating and life on the water. You know, we started off speaking to Matthew about the importance of boating to experience on the waterways. You know, the fact that the boaters were a critical part of being able to save and restore our canals. Then we were able to hear about the real life experiences of a boater through our conversation with Debbie. And then it was tremendous to hear from Sean as it relates to being able to hear about the work that the Canal River Trust is doing to support boaters who may be going through some very challenging situations in life. Knowing that the Canal River Trust is not simply there to ensure that they can use the waterways, but actually to ensure that they can have the best possible experience of life by water. Now, of course, this is a subject that we're no doubt going to come back to again in the future. So do look out for that. And if you want to learn more about boating and how the Canal River Trust supports, promotes and cares for its boating customers, search boating on the Canal River Trust website. Tune into Canalcast again next time. But until then, why not spend a little more time by water? Water.